you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts. We'll be in Acts 10, which is the page 535 of the blue Bible in the chair, under the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home and you would love to have one, I encourage you to take that one. We don't keep Bibles here. We like to give them away. With just this one little thing that you would read it. Maybe start with the Gospel of John and start reading through that and give us an email or give us a text if you have any questions about that. But I'm going to be reading Acts 10 together, um, and we're going to be talking about the vision this week, and Pastor Chris is going to be preaching next week as he kind of takes the, I don't know, I guess really the so what, the outflow of this vision in the rest of the text. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 10 is where we're going to be, and as you turn there, here's a few things that I want to just talk about and address In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses, it says. Dead in your sin. Ephesians 2, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Meaning that God's word comes along and it teaches us that because of humanity's fall into sin, we're unable to save ourselves. That's what it means to be dead. You can't do anything. Just putting that out there. We need the Holy Spirit to make us born again. The Bible also teaches that before the foundations of the world, God chose certain individuals from sinful human race to be object of his undeserved favor. These and these alone, he has purpose to save. And we get this from Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6, which says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he says in verse 5, he predestined us for adoptions to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And these are going to be made up of all people, as Revelations 5 verse 9 says, of all tribes and languages and peoples and nations. And this is important as we look into this passage together. So God's word also says that God will cause all people to repent and believe in his son Jesus Christ for salvation. But that no one will believe unless God, the Holy Spirit, does something in them to make them willing The Holy Spirit inwardly and effectually calls God's chosen at an appointed time and effectually draws them to Jesus. And we get this from John 6 when Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And in verse 44 he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In John 10, Jesus says again, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so they will be one flock and one shepherd. Ezekiel 36, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, comes along, the prophet Ezekiel says this, God says this to Ezekiel, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I pray this daily for when my kids were young, by the way. So this is all about conversion, how, how God saves a people, how God calls a people to himself. And, and hear me out as we get into this. Because it, if it's interesting when we think about this passage 
and what God does, because a question comes up to me. If this is how God saves someone, how about the person in the middle of the Amazon? What will he do? How does God save someone in the middle of nowhere? And we've seen little instances of this so far. Let's not forget about the Ethiopian. But here we see another amazing passage of how God works. In Acts 10, we see a similar situation. What will God do to fulfill the command to go into all the earth if there is both one group that considers himself clean and considers another group unclean? Which means, like oil and water, they're not going to mix. One is unclean and the other is considered clean. What will God do to bring about his sovereign and providential will? Remember his commands to go and make disciples of all nations. So read with me Acts chapter 10 as we get into this together. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Yopa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with the one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Yopa. And this is where we're going to be today, in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the household about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being like being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there, there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision uh, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by, the holy, by a holy angel to send for you a, and to come to his house and to hear what you have said. So he invited them in to be guests. The next day he rose and went with him with them, and some of the brothers from Yopa accompanied them, him. 
And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I, sent, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said for the third time, you see, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house on the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothes and said, Cornelius, your prayers has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Yopa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore are we all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were uh, oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge over the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among, them, among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come together to continue to worship you and to make much of you. And I pray, as we were praying earlier this morning, that any ounce of who we are that wants to elevate ourselves, Lord, I pray that we would decrease and you would increase that we would continue to worship you in the listening of the preaching of your word, that as your word is preached, that this would be an act of worship. So Lord, as we come together, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And Lord, I can't do this on my own. So will you, by your power, make this turn out well? By your spirit, help me to preach the sermon with what is needed. Use the sermon, God, 
to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. That's Acts 10, a wonderful story, and it does not count to my sermon, okay? So Acts 10, verses 9 to 16 is where we're going to start off, and Pastor Chris, as I was saying, will continue on taking the before and the after, looking at kind of the outpouring of what is happening right here. But God makes what was unclean clean, is what we see in verses 9 to 16. We have seen that there's a God-fearing man, he's a Gentile though, has had a vision while he's praying to go and get this other guy named Peter. And what's amazing is how we see how God prepares Cornelius to listen, but also brings Peter and prepares Peter to be willing to preach the gospel to Cornelius. So in verse 9, we see, So in that next day, after Cornelius had received the vision and the group he sends are on their way to Yoba, Peter is up on his roof and he's praying. And this is important. Because both of the times we see God speaking to both uh, Cornelius and to Peter, they're doing something called praying. So which begs the question, well, what is prayer? And prayer is a means of aligning ourselves with God's will. I think some of us use prayer as more of a cash machine, an ATM. But prayer is really about bending ourselves and aligning ourselves to what God has said in his word. And this is what Peter is doing as he's on the rooftop, which is a good and important thing because what he's about to hear is something that is mind-blowing to him. It is completely countercultural to what he has grown up with. It is completely different. And it's through prayer the believer seeks to understand God's plan for their lives and asks for the strength to carry out his will. Prayer is a, a, a personal and it's an intimate experience between a believer and God. And our context here today is something that we get to do together as well. As the people of God come together and we pray, it's characterized by reverence and humility and and a dependence upon God's grace as we spend time in God's Word. And there's a great book on prayer, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it, but it's orange and it's called Prayer. And that's importance. Prayer is importance. And we will see the outflowing of that as Peter aligns his will to God's later. As, we, as he's praying in verse 10, he naturally gets hungry. I don't know what some person, he's like, hey, I'm just going to start praying for a bit at noontime. I'm like, I'm already thinking about lunch at 11, let alone 12. So, but he goes up to the rooftop and he begins to pray. And this is important when we think about prayer as well. It is beneficial. We can always pray. We can pray in the car. We can pray as we're standing at line, or we can pray all the time. But to have a purposeful, meaningful time of prayer is good and beneficial. And Peter here has that time. And as he's doing this time, he, he gets hungry. And God uses Peter's prayer, prayerfulness and his physical state to begin to work in his life, in his heart. And as he begins to pray, one of my most favorite visions in the Bible, let's be honest, right? If you like bacon, praise God, okay? And if you don't like bacon, God will redeem that. That's okay. 
but a blanket full of all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. It comes down on what looks like a blanket from the heavens being held by four corners. And this blanket has been full of all kinds of food. And this is important because when we think about this, that means that it's completely against God's law, the Mosaic law in Leviticus. When he says all kinds, that means that there's pork. Praise God. Ham. I could just keep going. (laughs) But all of these things of all kinds include both what was called clean and unclean. Things that Jews were not allowed to eat at whatever the costs. It was something that was used, that God used to set them apart from all the nations. As they went around the world, as they spread throughout all the known world, everybody knew who the Jewish people were based upon what they were eating and what they weren't eating. Because it wasn't just something that affected what they were eating, but it also affected their culture, right? There was never any pigs. They weren't eating pigs. And here we see God using this. Verse 13, Jesus commands Peter to kill and eat. Praise God. But what would have been, this would have been hard, so unbelievably hard for Peter to wrap his mind around. And and I don't think we can understand this. I was trying to think of something that's applicable for us. I I just don't think I can comprehend in our culture something that's like this. And it's amazing to see how God uses our circumstances to make us more like Christ. And we see that here, even if it's hunger. In verse 14, even though he knows this is a voice coming from heaven, which means that he knows it's from God, he says, by no means, Lord. In verse 14, Peter understood that that voice and where it was coming from, but he still refuses Maybe he's thinking, hey, maybe this is a test and I need to make sure that I stay true to what God is saying. Maybe. Maybe he's seeking to be faithful like we see with Daniel in the Old Testament where he won't eat any of the food of the people around him. Maybe he's unwilling to violate the Old Testament law that prohibits eating unclean food. But as he's doing that, he's also forgetting the very teachings of Jesus in places like Mark 7 and Mark 10. So, Think about this, about who Peter was. He was taught by Jesus for three years. He hung out with Peter, or with Jesus for three years. He received the Holy Spirit. In fact, he preached better sermons than any of us will ever preach. Unless somebody else here knows uh, of someone that they know or has themselves preached a sermon where 3,000 people came to Jesus. He's done miraculous signs, and we just saw that last week. And this next step is going to be hard. And for you and I, this is a reminder that becoming a Christian isn't an instantaneous finished work, but an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what we call sanctification, to make us more like Jesus every day. And that's why the Christian life is a repenting life. We also need to remember that we are sometimes asked to do hard things for the Lord. And this is why we seek not to 
be guided by our feelings or emotions, but by what God's Word says. Imagine if Peter stuck with what he felt rather than being obedient to what God said. The story that would, would start to look very different. So Peter says he won't. So God gives a charge. And verse 15 is the pinnacle verse of this section. This is the key verse. And God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Literally, what God has cleansed, do not defile. Or do not call something as defiled. What God has made clean, do not call dirty. And when God declared this items to be clean, we can go back to Leviticus 13.13, which is this picture of of what a person with leprosy, if a person receives leprosy, which is a skin disease that kind of rots your skin and eventually you die, if you're considered unclean, you would be casted out of the camp. You were separated. You were unclean. Don't touch them. But if God healed you, you could actually go to the priest and say, look, and there was a number of tests that could happen, but the priest would look at you and say, you are now clean. That's the image that we have here. And here's this thing. Even a moderate Orthodox Jew at this time would be unwilling to enter the dwelling of a Gentile, and we saw that. No matter how much they were of a God-fearer, the law that was used to be a sign that God's people were distinct had now become an excuse to view those who aren't Jewish as less than. So how does the word of the Lord continue to increase from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to the ends of the earth if the people like Peter are unwilling to associate with those who aren't like them? So in the context, in this current context that Peter found himself as a law-following Jew, how would God's command to go make disciples of all nations happen? With these nine words, God annuls a big part of the Mosaic law. Simply, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. The law pointed to Jesus, and now it has been fulfilled. As my brother Peter said, as we read through Hebrews today, there was a role of the law under the old covenant, but now under the new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ, it has no role anymore. So it's at this moment that God tells Peter that he has abrogated, that he has repealed, that he has taken away the Mosaic regulations of ritual cleanliness. It's through this verse that we see God's intention to welcome people of all nations, not just one, into his community of of faith, by faith in Christ, to welcome all people of all nations, languages, to his family. This is, after all, this is a new covenant that Christ made doing away with the old. And this is not to say that the old covenant didn't have its role. Okay, don't hear me say that. God used it, and you can read Romans to have a greater understanding of what that means. But now its role has, was accomplished through Jesus, who brings a new covenant. I love how one commentary put it. The clean and unclean provisions of the law were temporary, designed to keep Israel a holy and distinct people until the time when Jews and Gentiles could receive the forgiveness of sins and sanctification on the basis of 
through faith in Christ. So this is shown with Paul as well in Acts 20, in Acts 26, in Acts 15. So what was the purpose of the law then? Because, because was even food evil? This was about how God taught Israel to think of themselves as different from the rest of the world. They were God's people set apart from their surrounding nations. And their lifestyle was a reflection of that. When God said, what God has made clean, do not call common, didn't change what was at the heart of that command. For those who are Christians, for for you and I, if we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. We are not to conform to the moral standard of the world. We're still called to be different, set apart, holy. In 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 19, it says this, As obedient children, what does it say? Do not be conformed to the passions of your, what? Former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy on your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As Peter quotes Leviticus. And if you call on him, as he continues on, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing, exile meaning this time. Knowing that you were ransomed, bought, from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, so precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. The Mosaic law had created a barrier over time between Israel and all the other nations that wasn't ever supposed to be there. Israel had forgot that their separation wasn't because of holiness that they did, but on God's grace and love, as Deuteronomy 7 says. They forgot that it wasn't what was eaten or not eaten that made them holy, because as Jesus said in Luke 11, true holiness touches in the heart. It it cleanses the conscience. As he uses the analogy of washing the outside of a cup doesn't make the inside clean. Now, if you're doing your dishes and I come to your house, I pray that you clean the inside of the cup. <laughs> I don't care about the outside. We too can fall into this sin of false pride, as one person put it. And it can manifest itself in less than subtle ways as they continue on. Our morality can become in and itself a source of pride. Because we do engage in some of the practices of the world, our religion becomes a badge of our self-congratulations. And when it does, it is a denial of the gospel. When Peter is on the rooftop vision, was told that one of the principal markers distinguishing Jew and Gentile was now abolished, his entire entire worldview collapsed. It was under threat. It leveled the playing field. The Jew could no longer never legitimately claim in himself to be special or different from a Gentile. And Peter protests loudly and repeatedly. So verse 15 is a key verse. 
So what God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. God is overturning the old law with all of its clean and uncleaning and dietary laws, making a way for all who repent of their sin and seek to follow Jesus will be adopted into God's family, his community, regardless of who you are. Now, Isaiah 49, 6 says, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to, sorry, to, rise, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the per, and preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And the prophecy is being fulfilled in Christ. Under this new covenant, it's now explicit that God's people will be made up of all people. That's why I love Revelation 5.9. I love it. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From where? Every tribe and language and people and nation. So let me ask. How is God accomplishing this? How will God save the person in the middle of the Amazon? He will make a way. Jesus said this three times. And as I was reading this, I was like, man, Peter, what's with you in three? And then I go, well, that's me too. (laughs) But three times, the voice from heaven says, the same thing over and over again, emphasizing the importance of what is being said. No longer is this is explicit, not implied. God is using a buffet of food to show that he is able to make anyone clean. And he has chosen to bring cleansing and salvation through Christ to all nations. In verse 28 that Pastor Chris will talk about, we will see that Peter will learn that he should not call any person common or unclean. And once again, salvation extends beyond a significant boundary, this time beyond the borders of Israel and into the Gentile world. And I think as I'm thinking about this, as I sit here, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, there's no one with Jewish heritage here. We're all coming out of this. We read this, and this applies to me directly. Praise God. I am a child of God because of what he has done. The gospel isn't held together by ethnicity. It's held together by Christ. It's why we can come together and worship him with all different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and make much of Jesus together and love each other and get beyond all of the things that separates everything in this world because of what Christ has done for us. The gospel is the foundation. It is non-negotiable. It's why we ask in our membership class or in our membership interviews, tell me what the gospel is. Because that's what unites us. There's a lot of other things that we care about, but the gospel. I don't know where I am now. This is amazing. And I want to think, I want you to think about what this means for you. The gospel is not only is not is not spread from a single person like we saw with the gentle Ethiopian. Now it's all gone. All those boundaries are gone. Entire people groups 
of God, uh, will be saved. For everyone who agrees with God that they are sinners, who renounces their sin and turns back, turns away from their old life, who repent of their sin, and who believe, who put all of your confidence and in the person of Jesus, our substitute, whose death was enough to rescue us from the hell we deserved. All of those people who repent and believe will be grafted into the family of God. These people groups now include people from everywhere. And the gospel has never known ethnic boundaries. This is the missions. It's not just about going across the street to Bill and Jan or whoever. It's also about going across the oceans to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. It's now in Christ there is a spiritual equality giving equal opportunity to every race, tribe, and people in the kingdom of God. No one is to be considered superior or inferior to another based on ethnicity. The church is to embrace Jews and Gentiles, Caucasians, African Americans, Chinese, Colombian, Egyptian, Indian, Filipino, Nepalian, and all the other nations that are represented here at Knollwood Baptist Church. This is why world missions is important to fulfill the great commissions, just as it's important as walking across the street to your neighbor. If David Platt was here, he'd be really tearing into this one. It's on the basis of what Christ has done, not through the law or ethnicity that one is made clean. In Christ, everything that was unclean is now clean. And in the next few verses, we will see that outcome. In verses 17 to 23, we see the outcome of God making what was unclean clean. So as Peter is sitting there in verse 17, and he's contemplating this, and I think it's easy as we're reading this in a post-Acts world to kind of harp on people a little bit. And this is a great reminder for us that when we're walking with people in discipleship, we can't expect them to be where you're at. Okay? And the same is applied to when we're looking at texts. So Peter's perplexed about this. He's confused. Again, because his whole worldview is crashing down around him. And Peter will get this in the teeth later. And he actually will mess up later. And then we get a guy named Paul who comes along and so harshly rebukes him. But Peter's still thinking about what this vision means, and God gives him the answer as the Holy Spirit speaks to him. I think this brings up a good question of what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And as people that, is, uh, that are in a time that is after the apostles, we are living, we're, we, are, we have the word of God that we need to look into. And that means that any claims of the Holy Spirit directly communicating should be carefully evaluated and tested and compared against the teachings of the Bible. Okay, the Bible is our authority because that's what guides us. And get to know a wise and mature Christian who can help you navigate these things. But everything must be tested against the teachings of the Scriptures. And we'll get to a group of people called the Bereans who do the very same thing. But here, Peter, he's inwardly perplexed. And everything that Peter had ever known about food since he was born has been overturned. He's still sitting there, scratching his head, wondering what's happening. He's still curious about this voice that he's heard. 
The people of God that he, that the people that God has sent suddenly start yelling out from the street saying, hey, is this where Peter is? From a man who God has been working on in his heart, preparing him to listen and study and learn, now arrives to the man that God has now made willing to teach. There's crazy stories of God working when you get outside of the Western world. You go to the Muslim nations, the Middle East, and you hear about people having visions of people telling other people to go to certain places at certain times to go talk to a certain man or a woman, and they'll tell you about a guy named Jesus. And something that's important to understand is that you need to hear the gospel in order to be saved, but there's nothing that's going to get in the way of God telling those who he has elected the gospel. Our job is just to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. And he's still sitting there, scratching his head. But God has been working in the hearts of Cornelius, preparing him to listen, to study, and to learn. And he's also been working in the hearts of Peter to go and talk to this person who was once considered unclean. And we see that in missions all the time. I was listening to a great little thing about Amy Carmichael who was talking about, uh, the, the person was talking about their mother of Amy Carmichael. And she said these great words, God has given you, me, giving you to me for a short period of time. Now it's my job to let you go. And Amy Carmichael went off to do great missions in India. But the Spirit said to Peter, to him, God controls everything that has happened. And very clearly, God gave Cornelius a message, preparing his heart, and God now is working in Peter, making him willing to teach. And we've seen this again in Acts 8 with the eunuch and Philip. And there's God guiding. He is providential over all the circumstances as God directs. And Peter in all of his perplexion, will find out what the vision means as he obeys what God has told. And in verse 20 to 21, you see he's told to accompany them without hesitation. God wants Cornelius to hear what Peter has to say. And hesitation means that Peter should make no distinction that would cause him to doubt what has been said to him. He is to go without delay. And what is Cornelius going to hear? The gospel. Cornelius want, must hear the gospel in order to be saved in God, because God has chosen Cornelius. So he prepares his heart and he prepares Peter. He wants Cornelius and his household to hear the gospel, that there is a holy God. I want you to sit there and think about that for a sec. Holy. He is absolutely holy, distinct, separate, He created everything. Everything, we're all, everything you're sitting on. Not, don't be facetious with me. He is, he did. The metal, the fabric, whatever. He created it all. He's holy. And we have sinned against him. We've sinned against the holy God. And if God is just, which he is, and we've sinned against him, which we've done, the only thing we deserve is hell. That is the only thing, is hell itself. 
And we've been taught often that hell is the absence of God. No, it's the absence of God's goodness, which means that his wrath is very present, which makes hell way worse, way worse. And we deserve that. And as R.C. Sproul talks about, it's going to be full of two types of people. It's going to be filled with people who are weeping, where there won't be enough water to quench the tears of those who are crying as they spend eternity in hell. And there'll be those who are gnashing their teeth, who are so bitter and still angry at God that all they can do is clench their jaw. And all because they've rejected Jesus Christ, because they've sinned. Well, that's the law. But that's not the end of the story. Because there's a but statement, as we've been seeing, because through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, for your, my sin, for your sin, for your sin, that whoever repents and believes will have eternal life with God. We don't deserve that. But Christ made it possible for us. And he gives us a new heart that enables us to believe. And Cornelius needs to hear the gospel in order to believe and to rest in that. So Peter does, so God goes and prepares that heart. And the question is, what are you going to do with the gospel? Because the gospel is not just something that you hear and you tickles your ears and you kind of just like, oh, that makes me feel so pretty inside. It calls you to obedience. It calls you to do something. And that something is to repent and to believe. Which brings up another question. How does God make us clean if it was never through the law? And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. Justification is the act of God declaring a sinner like you and me to be righteous based completely on the merits of Jesus Christ. This is not because as sinners we have become righteous in and of ourselves, but because we have been united to Christ by faith and his righteousness has been imputed on us. This imputation of Christ's righteousness not only justifies us, the sinner, but makes us clean. And just as in the Old Testament, the sacrifice is made, the unclean clean, so too does Christ's sacrifice make the sinner clean. But the major difference is this, is that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. It was final. It was perfect. That makes all who believe in him clean. Justification makes us clean by imputing Christ's perfect righteousness to us, which no, not only justifies us, but also removes all of our sin and makes us clean in the sight of God. And then God says, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, for I have sent them. Again, you can see how God is orchestrating all of these things. And for the second time, we see in verse 22, Luke tell us Cornelius' vision of what happened while he was praying and what, as Peter was praying as well. And so Peter, in verse 23, verse 8, 23a, invites these Gentiles into the home where he's staying as guests. All that Peter had been perplexed about is something he is beginning to understand what Jesus has been telling him. 
And you and I really need to see the importance of this. If you are sitting here, you are calling yourself a Christian, this is important for you to understand. There's an amazing weight of what God is doing here. Nothing will ever be the same again. Boundaries and walls are being torn down. The enemies are now becoming brothers and sisters. And the way to God opened an ancient promise to Abraham reaches the nations for the first time at this moment in Caesarea. This won't be perfect. Because the church isn't made of perfect people. And they will continue to struggle with this. So it won't be perfect. But we see this young church continuing to struggle with this. But here we see what God does as he makes what is unclean, clean. So what, you may ask? What about that person in the Amazon? I'm going to let Pastor Chris talk about that next week. So stay tuned. But let me just say this. Let me ask you some rhetorical questions. Do you think anything can separate him from his gospel, from his people? Do you think anything can separate God from his people? Do you think it's geography or worse, our sin that could hold back the gospel? Do you think that there's something that could stop the gospel from smashing through the barriers of ethnicity so that the word of the Lord will continue to increase even to the ends of the earth? If anything could stop God from saving, then how in the world could he save, period? In Acts 10, we are introduced to two types of people, like oil and water. They don't mix. One is unclean and the other is considered clean. But God cleanses what is unclean by bringing salvation to the nations through Jesus Christ. And this is done by God preparing the hearts of the one who will listen and bringing the person who will teach them the gospel because God cleanses what is unclean by bringing salvation to the nations through Jesus Christ. God makes the standard not a dietary law, but those who are in Christ, uniting us all under a new banner, that banner being Jesus Christ. This is who he is. This is what he has done which often means that we need to also stop identifying ourselves by our sin rather than who we are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But does that mean that you get to go on continuing to do whatever you want? No, Because if you are clean, that means you are different. You are new. And there are ways that that shows in our lives. It could be something like baptism, which is a proclamation of that faith that has happened, that inward change. It's that desire to go and tell other people about Jesus Christ. It's a desire to be with other believers and be involved in their lives. There are fruits of the Spirit that Galatians talks about. But in all of this, God cleanses what is unclean by bringing salvation to the nations through Jesus Christ. Let us pray.